I want to make a confession of my faith today before we get into the message. I believe Jesus Christ was born of a virgin as the sacrifice and substitute for my fallen nature and for all my sins. He became what I was so that I now can be what he is, a son of God. His righteousness is my righteousness. His standing with the Father is my standing with the Father. His seat is my seat. His covenant, my covenant. His health, my health. And his wealth, my wealth. As 1 John 4, 17 says, as he is, so am I in this world. I am an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And as Jesus prayed and revealed through this prayer to us in John 17, 23, my Father God loves me as much as he loves Jesus. That is unbelievable to the natural mind. You have to have revelation to even accept it. If anybody else would have said it other than Jesus, we might not accept it. But Jesus himself said in his prayer that we would know that God loves us as much as he loves him. Isn't that wonderful? Father, we're so thankful today that you do love us. And there's nothing that you would withhold from us that's good. We thank you that you have good and perfect gifts to bestow and you have a good plan for each of our lives. And we believe you, Father, today as we come before the word reverently and humbly that we will hear from heaven. We know, Lord, that something supernatural happens when the word of God is ministered under the anointing and men and women choose to believe it. We know that you move and you work beyond the message to confirm that word with signs following, to make the word good in our lives. And so we believe for that today in this congregation, and we give you thanks and praise for it in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Amen. In James chapter 1 and verse number 5, I want to read from the King James first, verses 5 through 9, and then I want to read the same verses from the New Living Translation. This is the third installment of a series of messages that we're doing on finding the will of God for your life. At the end of an old year, the beginning of a new year, this is one of the most important messages I believe that we can receive and take to heart. I'm so glad and so thankful that years ago I began to hear people talk about being led by the Lord. And over the years I've learned some things that have really helped me and blessed me and these are the kind of things I'm trying to share with you now. And by the way, when we do a series of messages on a subject that maybe some of you who have been here for many years have heard over and over again from time to time, I want you to understand that I'm always trying to bring it the very most update uh, with it, the most update information that I can. Things I say in this series that I've never said before. And the Holy Spirit continually adds to our um, treasury of wisdom and knowledge. And I just trust that you'll take it to heart. And, and though I don't say this every single Sunday, I would encourage you to go back and listen to part one and part two. That's last Sunday and the Sunday before. And it'll help you be caught up with this one. And even if you were here, I would encourage you to listen to it. Uh, we don't usually get everything the first time we hear a message. Usually we don't really hear everything the Spirit of the Lord might be saying to us. And so it's good to hear it again. Thank God for recordings. We're glad to be alive in a day when we can enjoy that. So let's do our reading and look at this text, James chapter 1 and verse number 5 through verse 9. It says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, Nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Amen. That's verse 8. I said verse 9. I want to read through verse 8. 
And now in the New Living Translation, I really like the way this is worded. I think it speaks to us in a very uh, easy way to understand. If you need wisdom, if you want to know what God wants you to do, ask him. And he will gladly tell you. He will not resent your asking. But when you ask him, be sure that you really expect him to answer. For a doubtful mind is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. People like that should not expect to receive anything of the Lord. They can't make up their minds. They waver back and forth in everything they do. I mentioned two words in the prior message and even the one before, the word curious and the word committed. One reason a lot of people don't know the specific will of God for their life is because they're not really committed to obedience and doing the will of God. They're just curious to see what God wants them to do so that they can then decide if they will do it or not. God doesn't play that game. Somehow or another, he thinks he's God. All by himself, without apology, he is who he is, he is what he is, and he is totally unchanging. Our feelings, our emotions, our preconceived ideas do not change the purposes and plans of God. You can pray, as we say, until you're blue in the face, you're not going to change his will. Prayer, in so many cases, is not about changing God, but it's about changing, number one, circumstances. That's appropriate when necessary, but it's also about changing us. Sometimes the biggest change that's needed is that I would change. Amen. And so if you will make a commitment, a true commitment, and God knows whether we're honest or not. If you'll make a commitment... To the Lord that whatever you tell me and whatever you lead me to do, I'll do. I'm your servant to command, and my life is in your hand. If you'll make that kind of commitment and ask him in faith, believing, he will show you his will and purpose. And once you know the will and purpose of God, you have answered one of the most important questions of life. And you've really found the difference between a great life and just an existence. You found the difference between success and mediocrity. A lot of people in this world just get by. And they've done it so long, they think that's the way life has to be. But the fact is, God has a wonderful plan for every one of us. He's not a hard taskmaster. Jesus invited us. You know, he said, uh, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The will of God is not something to be dreaded. It's not something to be postponed. It's not something to uh, avoid, but it's something that we really and truly want to embrace if we want the greatest life that we can possibly have. We've learned that the will of God is much like a coin in that it has two sides. Now, when I was growing up and I began to first hear about the will of God, I kind of looked at it only from one side. One side is the side of, of decree and purpose. But what I've come to find out is that the very word itself means more than just a decree, means more than just a purpose, but God's will is also God's desire. So if you think about a coin, a two-sided coin, one side is God's decree, the way it must be if we're going to please him. The other side is what, God make, what makes God happy. It's his desire. Only a fool would want to make God happy. And then also, one side of that coin on the same side with decree is purpose. What God gave you birth for. I know your parents came together and you were born. 
And they may not have planned you even. In some cases, that's, that's true. But God did. He knew you would be here. And so he gave your life purpose. But also, on the other side of that coin, is his pleasure. The pleasure of God. I don't think we have always thought about the will of God as being something that is so pleasurable to God. That God would want us to do things in certain ways, not because he's trying to be an overlord, some egotistical uh, person that's hard and difficult to deal with, just to show you that he's in charge and you're not. There's no motivation in God's heart like that at all. But the motivation of God's heart is his greatest pleasure, which is to make you have the greatest pleasure of life. Now, we're in a fallen world. I know that. And I'm not saying that there won't be things that are not pleasurable that we have to go through. And I'm not saying there won't be circumstances to, that we, have, we won't have to overcome. There are battles to be fought. The faith life is called the fighting the good fight of faith. I'm glad that phrase is like that because a good fight's one <coughs> excuse me, that we win. So I want you to understand that the will of God is not something you have to be afraid of. It's something that's good. It's something that's good. And one reason this is so important to me as a pastor, and this may sound a little uh, selfish, you know, on my part, but I think about my own life. I think about me, and I think about a little boy in a church where there weren't many people, in a little church in the mountains, and sometimes there would be numbers in the teens for midweek. There might be 20-some people on a Sunday morning, uh, week after week after week, just faithfully worshiping the Lord and doing the best we knew how. And none of us, none of us in that room saw this. None of us saw being able to reach people in other parts of the world through the internet. They didn't see the publishing of materials. They didn't see all the people, all the lives, all the families that we've been so blessed and privileged to touch and have some effect on from this place. People that I would have never met and would have never known until I would have gotten to heaven before I would have met most of you had not it been for following the will and the plan of God. I've not been perfect. I've been quite imperfect. But I can tell you that today I'm here because of the will of God. And I don't know how you feel about that, but I'm very, very happy and very glad that you're a part of my life. All these kinds of things are tied to the will of God. People think it's unimportant sometimes, or maybe not so much unimportant, that might not be the correct word, but they think it's not such a big deal, you know, for instance, where they go to church. Well, you know, let's take, for instance, the single person, the young person that hasn't ever been married and they want to be married. Wouldn't it be nice to meet your spouse in church? Wouldn't it be nice to marry somebody of like precious faith that shared your moral compass, that shared your belief system, somebody that you could build a life with that you didn't have to constantly redirect and re-educate and fight and fuss with? I know Glenn is very glad about that. Amen. It really does make a difference. How many people have ended up in business situations, even sometimes in investment situations, because of connections they made in the house of the Lord. And I know, I know that, that there are people, bless their heart, they go to churches and they, they like really large churches because they're going to make connections. They want business connections and all that. I'm not talking about that. But I mean just following God to be where he wants you to be. You know, you might be needing a wife and there may not be a single woman in the, in the sanctuary on a given day. But all you need's one. <laughs> I mean, there are over 7 billion people on the planet. There's one somewhere that suits you. As my mother-in-law used to say, for every old pot, there's a lid. <laughs> and so, what if you're not in the right place? What if you really need an answer? What if you really need some kind of a manifestation of the Holy Ghost and it was there, but you never made it that day. 
You, you, you didn't show up. I'm not saying God can't still get it to you some way, but it's just so much easier to follow the will of God. So much easier. I want you to think with me a little bit about God's goodness this morning. I think about the Christmas season. I love Christmas. Uh, the only thing I really don't like about it is the constant battle with the scale every morning. How did we do the last couple of days? Well, I can tell you right now I didn't do so great the last couple of days. But anyway, uh, <laughs> you know, push comes to shove, you can still get the same clothes on. They may not fit exactly the same way, but you can at least get the button buttoned. But I think about the goodness of this season and God's goodness to us. And I'm going to give you some information today that you need to meditate on to believe. I mean to fully believe. To believe it like you believe that you're born again and you're going to heaven. To, to believe some of the things I'm going to say. Because I'm going to say a few things that really are hard to grasp with our minds. Because we just don't see ourselves sometimes as worthy of this. We don't see ourselves as deserving. We don't see ourselves as significant enough. And you know in the world you have enough people to tell you that you're not significant. You have enough people to tell you you're unworthy. There are plenty of people that will point out your faults and failures. And not only sometimes will they do it to your face. But they'll be glad to do it behind your back. You know we all understand that. And I'm not just here to give you a pep talk. I'm not here just to give you a motivational speech. I'm here to share some things with you that are spiritual truths. That if you meditate on them they will change your life. And I'm sure we're not going to finish all of them today. And thank God for Christmas Eve. There'll be a great day to share some more of this. Here we go. God's will, or we could also say God's choice to create earth and all the things in it and get it perfectly correct and then create man on day six reflected his own desire. Remember, that's part of his will, his desire, his pleasure. This creation reflected God's desire to have the pleasure of family. That's what creation was about. It was about family. God did not want just another group of servants. We think of angels, we think of servants. They excel in strength. They're powerful. They can do mighty things. They're supernatural beings. They're spiritual beings. But yet they do not hold the place of authority and they do not hold the same place in God's heart that you do as a born-again child of God. God didn't want another group of servants. God wanted a family. And all of creation, the sun, the moon, the stars, the galaxies, the, the universe, everything that God, let me say it this way, everything that God brought into existence with his word was not because he needed it to be God. Nothing in the earth, nothing in our solar system is necessary for God to be God. He already was before he created. He is now and he ever shall be almighty God. But everything he created was to fulfill the pleasure and desire of his heart to have a family. That means all the resources and all the riches and all the beauty of this planet was created because he knew you'd be here. And he knew you'd need it. He knew you'd want it. And he knew you would enjoy it. Now you might say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, just think about how different that sounds in most religious ideas. Because many of us had baggage when we came to the Lord and still had some religious baggage when we got filled with the Holy Ghost. And many of us had, still had religious baggage when we came to begin to see the word of faith opened up to us and the realities of the word and confession and and the miraculous power of God and all those things. And, and I'm sure many of us have still got some things that need to be thrown off the train as we move down the tracks. But the point is, many of us would not have ever looked at creation as being something that God did just for us. But we were looked at it in some other way. It was the domain of God and we are stewarding it. And all that's true. It is. 
But why in the beginning was it even done? It was done because God loved you. It's because he wanted you as a son or a daughter in his family. All of creation was for our needs and our desires. And on the bigger picture, it was for God's desires. And God's will, God's desire, God's pleasure, God's plan is not an ego thing for God. It's not him constantly reminding us that we're not God. We don't really have to be reminded of that too often. Just go through the day, stump your toe, burn the toast, spend too much money, or do like I did the other day, back out of the garage and your car tells you that your tire is low and you take it to have it repaired and just bought it, bought them about three weeks ago and already there's this nice pretty blue screw through the tire. Just living life on this earth reminds us we're not God. And, and if that's not enough, just uh, talk to your kids. They'll let you know. And most of all, talk to your spouse. He or she will let you know that you're not God. Amen? You can laugh. It's okay. I'm not trying to get you in trouble. God's will is not an ego thing for God. It's a pathway for him to love us and bless us to the fullest extent possible. I'm telling you, these are things you have to meditate on to fully believe. The religious mind doesn't think about these things this way. There are people who absolutely get very upset at a minister standing behind a pulpit making a statement like I just made because they think somehow that detracts from God, that that somehow detracts from his holiness, that somehow that takes away from his sovereignty, that, you know, that somehow that is a more of a me-centered, that's a word they like to use, that it makes the gospel me-centered instead of God-centered. But what I want you to see is it's bigger than that. Because what's happening in God's blessings upon our lives is that it is God-centered because that's the pleasure of God to bless you. It is the Father's good pleasure, Jesus said, to give us the kingdom. If you think that you're going to glorify God by running around, whining, crying, poor-mouthing, if you think you're going to bring glory to God by refusing to believe Him for His blessings and not receiving what He offers, then you're mistaken. God is not getting glory out of, it, out of when you lose. God is getting glory when you win. Somebody said, well, there are a lot of things in life that are tough, like you got a screw in your tire. Is God getting glory out of that? Well, I'll tell you one thing. He got glory when I was able to get it fixed. He didn't mess up my tire. I'm just in a natural world where screws lay around, evidently, where they're not supposed to be. And I'm wondering if they were here. But anyway, we won't go too farther, much further there. But the point is, that's just the way life is. That's just the way life is. Amen. So God's will is a pathway for him to love us and bless us to the fullest extent that's possible. And that's what gives him the greatest pleasure. Every parent knows this. If you're a normal, sane human you know that you get no pleasure out of your children's suffering. But you know you get pleasure out of being a blessing to them. That doesn't do away with the fact that good parents discipline their children. They correct their children. They deal with problems and they deal with things that go wrong. But the, the bottom line, as we say, of the whole thing is we want what's best for them. And we will spend... And we will be spent in order to see that that happens. So when God loves us this much, he makes us one of his own children. That's what he wanted was a family. So God makes us a son. Let me make this statement because this is important to understand. God makes us a son, and you know that means the daughters too. But we choose to be a servant. God will make you. He will recreate you. He will give you new birth. He will make you a son or a daughter. But you'll only be a servant if you choose to be.
God isn't into slavery. You'll only be a servant of God if you choose to be. Now, when we begin to renew our mind to what God wants for us, and I'm not just talking about he wants you to go here and do this and do that. That's part of it. But when you also understand the other side of the coin is we say, God says, I want you to have this. I want you to enjoy this. I want you to have this kind of confidence in me, and I want us to have this kind of relationship. When you put all that together, then you begin to desire God's best. And when you desire God's best, then you're wanting what he wants. There's, again, something you really need to think about what I just said. When we desire God's best, we are wanting what he wants. It's not selfishness. It's not lust or greed to want what God wants for us. It's coming into agreement with him. The key for us, and this this has to be said, the key is to want it for the same reasons he does. It's all about motivation. Why do I want wealth so I can be Ebenezer Scrooge? I started to say Ebenezer, Ebenezer Scrooge again. I like the old Scrooge movie, you know. Scrooge, you know, the ghost of Christmas past. I mean, I think I saw her over to Mall the other day. But anyway, no, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just see if you're awake. But God doesn't want to bless you so you can become a miser. God doesn't want to bless you so you can drive around, you know, in whatever you think is a great vehicle and kind of let everybody know how great you are. The song, How Great Thou Art, was not written about us. (laughs) Amen. That's not what this is about at all. But it's about being able to do anything God asks you to do. To give anything he asks you to give. To go anywhere he asks you to go. Blessings bring with them choices and opportunities that poverty will never bring. God doesn't want you broke, busted, disgusted. He wants you blessed. I got so tickled the other day. I was sitting in my living room, and I was sitting on the end of the couch, and on the table beside the couch, there's this really beautiful ceramic book that my mother made for me. She used to have a ceramic shop, and she did such a marvelous job. I mean, it's got all these print. It's like an open book with print, and she just did a marvelous job. And, and there's a fireplace on, you know, the, the story's on this side, and this side is a, is a beautiful fireplace with a fire going and um, there's a cat sitting by the, the fire, and that's the only part about it I don't like. I wish it was a dog, but anyway, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Don't, Susan, I, I knew you'd be happy about it. No, I'm just kidding, but there is a cat sitting there. Used to be a little mouse up on top of the mantle, but we got grandkids. I don't know where the mouse is. Um, and then Santa's sitting in his rocking chair, and the, uh, <clears throat> the rocking chair turns, and it's like a music box, and you wind it up, and Santa goes around and around. He's sitting there asleep with his boots off and his socks on. Anyway, it's a really, it's a really nice thing. Of course, my mother made it, and so um, it's a keepsake for me. And so we have fought for years to make sure it doesn't get broken. And not only do the grandchildren get scolded about it, but he who puts it up gets scolded about it as well. And so anyway, so we're there the other day, and Ella was there with us. Most of you know Ella, our granddaughter. She was there. And she was sitting over on the other side of the room, and she really wants Santa to make music. And her Nana won't let her do it, and I won't let her do it. And so she was sitting over there, and I guess thinking out loud, and I'm over here, and I didn't expect this at all, and here I hear this voice from the other side of the room. She said, Santa's broke. And I got so tickled because I thought, she thinks Santa's broke, meaning there's no Christmas presents this year. And she did not mean broke as in no money. She meant broken. He doesn't work anymore. He's not going to turn around. So I want you to know that uh, uh, God does not want you to think in terms of being broke, 
busted, disgusted, and all of that. He wants you to be blessed, and he wants you to be blessed for the same reasons that he wants you to have any other great blessing is because he loves you. So here I'm going to make another statement you need to meditate on. We have a responsibility. Everybody say responsibility. We have a responsibility to receive and to manifest the blessings of God. You may think it's just optional, but that's really not how God sees it. There was too great a price paid. There are too many resources that were put here in the earth. One of my confessions I make every day is that the material wealth and and resources of the earth were created by God for his children. And I'm one of his kids. So I claim, by faith, my portion and my part of those resources. I don't know where they all are at the moment. I don't know where they are all coming from. And I don't know all the channels that he may choose to use. That's all his business. But I do know that the resources of the planet were not put here for the devil's crowd. The resources of the planet were not put here for the devil to spoil and to use for ungodly purposes. The resources of the planet were put here for God's family. And I'm in the family, aren't you? And so every day I'm exercising my faith for my harvests and my portion of those blessings and resources to come to me. And so I have a responsibility to receive them and a responsibility to manifest them. (coughs) Now this flies in the face of the religious idea that the more broke you are and the more poor you are and the more sick you are, And the more ignorant you are, somehow or another, that there's a great blessing. That if your life is full of drudgery, your life is full of toil, and if your life is some kind of a miserable existence, that somehow that makes you a better Christian. And, you know, and then we get into the one day after a while, it'll all be over. One day after a while, we'll understand it better by and by and all of those things. Well, I will agree. When this life's over, we're getting a better one. I agree we'll understand it better by and by. I understand that heaven is a beautiful place. And I want you to know I purchased my ticket, if you will, or I received my ticket long ago, and I'm going. But until I get there, I want to walk as a son of Almighty God. I want to live in the way that God has called me to live, and I want my life to be an example for other people to see that God can bless his children and will bless his children. We have a responsibility to receive and to manifest God's blessings. It is rude to reject God's good and perfect gifts. If I came up to you today and I said, you know, I don't know, let's say I had something really nice. Let's say I had a brand new iPhone. And I had just bought it. And I said, I want to give you this. I love you. I appreciate you. And I want to give you this phone. Free and clear. You just take it. You do whatever you want with it. I mean, even if you're one of these people that uses an Android. (laughs) It would be really rude to say, forget that. I don't want it. I don't like them. Wouldn't that be terrible? How rude is it? You wouldn't, you wouldn't do that to me. Why would we do this to God? When we open the Bible and we find so many wonderful blessings, we find his power uh, in manifestation through the pages of Scripture, we see the goodness of God like we sang about earlier. And uh, why would we tell God, well, I don't think I want that. I don't need that. After all, my grandma didn't have that. The church I used to go to, they didn't teach that. I don't think I want it. Uh, Forget that, Lord. Let me get the remote. Let me see what's on TV. But see, people are doing this every day. Every day. It's rude to reject his good and perfect gifts. God is glorified. Now listen carefully. Meditate on this. God is glorified when when we receive both him and that which he offers. A lot of people have the idea that I'll receive Jesus and I'll get my get out of hell card free. I'll get to go to heaven when life is over. And this kind of just stops there. 
I may go to church some, and I may throw a few dollars in the plate occasionally, but you know, I've got that, uh, I've got that salvation thing settled, and so I'm going to go on with my life. And what they don't realize is they're missing their best life. God is glorified when we receive both Him and that which He offers. Amen? Now, in Psalm 37, 23, the Bible says to us that the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 7, it says, We walk by faith, not by sight. So the will of God will be revealed to us incrementally. Now, I know we don't like that. We like the whole picture. We want God to tell us the next 30 years. We want God to show us all the details, all the answers now. But that's not how this is going to work. And there are a number of reasons why it's not going to work that way. One thing is because so much of that we would mess up. We would hear enough to make us dangerous. We would try to figure it out. We would try to figure out how to make it happen. And, and that's just not how it's going to happen. It's not going to work that way. God's will for our lives is revealed in steps. And so we have the phrase, we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, God gets pleasure from that. That's part of his will for your life. Sometimes we think about the will of God. We think about the grand plan. We think about career. We think about marriage, children. We think about the future. We think about all those things, maybe ministry, various things that we can do. But you've got to realize part of the will of God is that you learn to walk by faith, not by sight. In many cases, I would say most cases, we won't know the next step until we've acted on the last one that God has revealed to us. So that begs the question, what's the last thing God told you to do? I can't answer that for you. I don't know. It's not my business, really. But it's really serious for each of us to know the answer. What is the last thing that God told us to do? Are we walking out the will of God? Now, remember, walking, steps, walking, walk. And I'm not trying to insult your intelligence, but I want you to think with me. Walking's not sitting. A lot of people aren't having anything revealed to them because they're just sitting. They're sitting in the recliner of life. You know, they're not doing anything. Sometimes people think when they get a certain age, it's no longer necessary to really seek God. They're not going to be doing much. Some people think when they get to a certain uh, level of wealth that they don't really need to be so concerned about decisions anymore because after all, they can make their own decisions. They're smart. They're rich, whatever. Some people think that about career and their career choices. Well, I've reached the pinnacle. I've, I've gotten what I wanted. My goal's been accomplished. So now I can kind of, you know, goof off. And my life now will consist basically of uh, playing golf in the day and watching TV at night. At every station of life, at every age, God has a purpose and a plan. And just like you didn't want to miss that purpose of God about your spouse, your career choice, or that major investment you made that paid off so well, just like you don't want, like you're glad you didn't miss those choices, you don't want to miss this one. You don't want to miss the next one. Sitting isn't walking. In other words, stay busy with the last thing God told you. I, I like to say it this way. It's not original with me. Uh, but I think it's a really good saying. I go on green, and I don't stop until it's red. And there have been a few times, you, you know the rest of that one. But anyway, it's like I remember Garrison when he was just a young man, too young to drive. So I was picking him up, bringing him to church so he could uh, play the keys. We've had some good times. I remember coming through. And his mom's not going to appreciate this, but I remember coming through the Concord light and uh, it turned caution and I just 
put, punched it and went through. And I said, Garrison, you know what caution means, don't you? That means punch it. And <laughs> so I don't know. Hopefully, I, well, I guess it was a bad influence that day, but maybe the good, good about way the bad. But I don't, I don't, uh, I don't stop till it's red. So the last thing God told me to do, I'm going to keep doing. He told me to come here and be here 33 years ago. I don't have a red light. So I'm still here. It's not always been easy. And I must confess, it ain't always been fun. At no fault of yours, of course. (laughs) It's true, it's not your fault. I've had opportunities to be frustrated, to be disappointed. I've had opportunities to get angry. I've had opportunities to have my little feelings hurt. Just like all of you have about your life. We're all in this together. But I never got a red light. And so I'm really glad today that I kept going on green. And my plan is to keep going on green and hopefully go faster. Praise the Lord. But obedience is required. It is not optional. That's the thing we've got to understand about the commands of God, the will of God. Whether they're in Scripture or whether they are something the Holy Spirit's led us to do on a personal level, obedience is not an option. It is required. Now, I know we don't like that. I know today, especially when people try to uh, take uh, certain Bible doctrines further than the word actually takes them, particularly in the area recently of, of the thing of grace. A lot of people don't even like the term obedience anymore. They don't want to think that anything is required, that it's all just optional, and whether I do it or not really doesn't matter because it's all under grace and we're going to be okay anyhow. My answer to that is quite the smart aleck answer, yeah, and how's that working out for you? Not too good. Now, I want to close today in several scriptures. I want to close today. I gotta to be I gotta say be careful. I want to close in Isaiah chapter 10 and verse number 7. And then John 8:29. Isaiah 10 and 7 and John 8:29. And this is where we will close today. And and we have not finished, but we've got we've got other days coming. And if the Lord comes before I get to preach to you again. I would much rather hear him than me, so I'm sure you would too. But I want you to know this. This is important to leave us with today. Jesus did the Father's will when he was here on the earth. He lived an exemplary life, a perfect life, a sinless life. And that kind of a life required that he could not and did not do his own thing. Seven centuries before he got here, God said these words through the prophet, and he was speaking of Jesus. Then said I, lo, I come. Think about this. This is Jesus' statement. Lo, I come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will, O God. So Jesus lived his life according to what had been spoken by God that had been written by men of God. You know, God's word was spoken so that it could be written. And it was written so that it could be spoken again and so that it could be acted upon in the moment whenever we're reading it or whenever we're living. So of Jesus, it was said, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will, O God. If Jesus needed to do the will of God, if it was necessary for Jesus to do the will of God in order to please his Father, and in order to get God's pleasure uh, for his life accomplished, then how much more do we need to be doing the will of God? And Jesus said in John 8, 29, the latter part of the verse, I do always those things that please him. And he was speaking about God, his Father. I do always those things that please him. 
So if you ever wonder, and I'm not saying this is the only reason, but this is part of it. This is this is very important part of it. If you ever wonder why Jesus never got ruffled, as we might say, never got flustered, he was never at a loss for the right thing to say, and he was never at a loss for the right decision or the right action to take. And he was never at a loss for the power of God to manifest. This is a part of it. He came to do what had been written of him. And he came to do always those things that please the Father. Now what we've got to understand is. This book we call the Bible that I'm holding in my hand. Is the book where those things were written about Jesus. But, and you've got to get this this morning. This book also has things written about you. There are multitudes of things that are said about you as a child of God, as a believer. And so we can live as Jesus lived, doing the will of God according as it is written of me. And we can choose to do those things that please God. I think it's interesting Jesus didn't say, I always do the things I have to. That's not what he said, is it? I always do what's necessary. No, he said, I always do those things that please the Father. Would to God that could be said of us. That when it comes to our spiritual life, our emotional life, our intellectual life, the very will that we have to make decisions with, when it comes to our physical life, our bodies, our material life, our wealth, our money, our things, our possessions, and when it comes to our relationships and those people that are close to us and that we're in covenant with and people we are responsible through covenant to and for, would it be said of us that we're doing the things that please God where those things are concerned? And when you do, you'll find you're also doing the things that will bring pleasure to you. Because that's the whole key about the will of God. When you please God, you will be pleased. When you please God, you will be pleased. So never go to God with the attitude of, I hope you don't tell me something I don't like. Go to God with the attitude of, I am your servant. I am at your command. I'll go where you tell me to go. I'll do what you tell me to do. Everything I have and everything I am and everything that I potentially can be and have is at your disposal now. What do you want me to do? And you know what you're going to find? You're going to find what the Bible calls the good and perfect will of God. You're going to find those plans we talked about for the last couple of weeks, Jeremiah 29.11, those plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and hope. You're going to find the good will of God for your life. Amen? So, Father God, this morning we do come to you with thanksgiving. We come to you as servants choosing to serve. You made us a son. We couldn't do that on our own. It was something we had to receive. But to be a servant is something that we have to choose. If you've never made that conscious choice, then do that right now. If you don't know Jesus, just say, come into my life. I believe you're alive. I believe your death was for me. And I believe you rose again. And I receive you as my Lord and Savior. And I choose to be your servant. For the rest of my life, all of my days, I will serve you. Lord, there are those here today that are looking at what they believe to be your will for their lives. And some of it may seem far-fetched in that we don't understand how that can happen. We don't understand how we could have that or where, how we could ever get to that place or whatever. 
But Lord, you have plans that are so much bigger than ours. Plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Plans to give us a future and a hope. We commit to those plans today, Father. I commit. And on behalf of all these here who make that honest commitment in their heart today, we commit to the will of God. We believe that the coming year and coming years, if you tarry your coming and we stay on this earth, we believe that the best is yet to come. We believe that good and perfect will of God is being revealed to us. And as we walk by faith, not by sight, we will walk out that which brings you pleasure. And in the process of bringing you pleasure, we will be pleased. We will look back and say, we are so glad that we did. Many years ago now, a number of years ago, I heard uh, a great minister of the gospel has gone on to be with the Lord, been with the Lord now about 20 years. Uh, some of you are familiar with the name Derek Prince. And, uh, of course, he was great. He had a great intellect, a great mind. He was highly educated and just, just a wonderful teacher. Um, I was listening recently to some of his teaching on Hebrews and his whole series on Hebrews. He was reading from the, the Greek and going back and forth. I mean, I can't, I can't do those kinds of things. I don't have that kind of training or education. But, you know, uh, I heard him in his later years, and he made this statement. And I thought it was so good. He summed it all up. He, he wasn't talking about how much he appreciated uh, a Cambridge education. He wasn't talking about how much he appreciated all the uh, intellectual studies he had done. He didn't talk about any of that. But as an older man, he made this statement. He said, if I can sum up my testimony, it's three words. And I've never forgotten this because the longer I live, the more I see it's true. He said, my three-word testimony is this. God is faithful. And my brother and sister, if you will walk in the will of God, you will be able to testify with absolute certainty of the faithfulness of God. He is faithful to his word, and he's faithful to his covenant. He is faithful to his son, and he's faithful to all those who are in Christ. He's faithful to his people. Hallelujah. Let's put up our hands and just thank the Lord. God, you are so good. You're so faithful. I'm so thankful, Lord, that you did not leave us in our sins and you didn't leave us outside with no hope, without a covenant, without a Savior. But you brought us in through Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we celebrate this marvelous and wonderful time of the year, we know, Lord, that it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So help us, Lord, to be reminded in the coming days how important that it is that we lift up Jesus, that we surrender to Jesus, and that we partner with Jesus to do the Great Commission and to see Jesus come back. For prepared people, may that be us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, I want to say this before we go today. I know that this time of year,